Hello and welcome to Marionettes Incorporated. We hope you enjoy your visit with us today. Please take a seat in the waiting area to your left. One of our service tour operator droids will be with you shortly to begin your tour of our facilities. While you wait, refreshments are available, and Marionettes Incorporated would very much appreciate it if you could complete our online survey, either now or before you leave the facility. Thank you for choosing to complete our online survey. Question 1. Do you play science fiction role-playing games? Question 2. If not, why not? Question 3. If you play science fiction role-playing games, do you also play fantasy role-playing games? Question 4. If you also play science fiction role-playing games and fantasy role-playing games, which do you prefer? Thank you for completing our online survey. <coughs> no, no, this is hard work, this, you know. Okay, hello, and welcome to episode one of season three of the Safer Fantasy Crafting Podcast. And uh, in this season, uh, in this episode, I want to uh, ponder and ask the question, why was it that I never used to play science fiction games, never really played science fiction games when I was younger, when I was part of the hobby in the 80s? And also wonder, why is it that science fiction role-playing games always have seemed to have been the poorer relation to fantasy role-playing games? Um, I'm not sure if that's true now. I don't really know how popular different games are, although D&D 5th edition does seem to be the dominant player in the marketplace still. Um, but I don't know if new games have mixed the genres and crossed them over. So, um, But it always was the case that science fiction role-playing games always seem to be less popular than fantasy role-playing games. And I've been thinking about that this um because of some of the things I was listening to in the RPG a day month and some of the responses that I was sent to some of the podcasters and that. And um, I suppose, first of all, I just want to say um, congratulations, actually, to every one of you podcasters that took part in RPG a day month. Um, I think I'm really, really quite impressed with your achievements uh, there and your efforts. Um, the idea of doing a podcast a day, I just, I just couldn't even imagine it. So I couldn't even imagine attempting something like that. So hats off to every single one of you that took part. Uh, I'm, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcasts uh, over the month. And I suppose um, you probably all very much deserve a rest uh, and a break right now. And I suppose that's why I'm probably sneaking out this little podcast, um, perhaps in the hope that no one's really looking. Um, but yeah. So I got thinking about sci-fi role-playing games after um, what Nate Gilbreth uh, said in one of his podcasts where he suggested that I perhaps wasn't a real person, um, that I was just a character being um, performed by John Lodge. 
and uh, I went along with this a bit and uh, and along with the conceit and uh, actually yeah I mean I'm, I accept it yeah I am I am not a real person I'm I'm just not official stupidity you know Nate you were right uh, and I am welcome so yeah I'm over that now I've accepted it I've, I'm, I've, I've done with it that's probably why I want to move on to a, a new season but um, actually that makes me think of a, um, a thread I read on a um, Neverwinter Nights forum Neverwinter Nights a video game about 15 years ago and there was a load of people they were discussing what alignment they think they would be in real life and how they could tell the difference between you know what would make them neutral good or as opposed to chaotic good and one guy just came on and said um look quit your griping you're all neutral evil just like everybody else get over it deal with it so that's what i'm doing i'm getting over it i'm dealing with it I accept it. I'm an artificial stupidity, but um, on top of that, I'm. Uh, I accept also. I'm not a real gamer. In truth, I don't think I couldn't really call myself a real gamer. Um, I played a few systems back in the eighties. I started playing in late nineteen eighty three, and I stopped role playing in about early nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, so not quite five years, and I think even shorter than that because most of nineteen eighty six I wasn't role playing. I was playing Warhammer Fantasy Battle Second Edition. And um, and since I've been in the deep freeze for 30 odd years, I've only been playing for just over a year, uh, playing 5th edition with my nephew, GM in 5th edition for him, and playing in the little games that he's been making up um, since then. So I, I'm not a real gamer, I don't know all the modules. I mean, the, the systems I played in back in the 80s, I played D&D, AD&D, um, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Palladium, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Twilight 2000, RuneQuest 3rd Edition, which I GM'd um, for about a year in 1987. And then the very last game I played was Paranoia. And um, I only played three sessions of Paranoia. Uh, just two one-hour sessions to get the GM used to it, and then a three-hour session with me and my friend and, and the other friend as the GM, just the three of us. And... That was the last game I ever played, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, I really enjoyed the game of Paranoia, and I didn't have anything against sci-fi role-playing, but uh, that's the only bit of sci-fi role-playing I ever really did. And I, I don't really understand why I never really played fantasy, uh, sci-fi role-playing, because I never had anything against it. It wasn't like I was just one of these fantasy-only type of players. But it does seem that sci-fi role-playing games have, have been far less popular than fantasy ones and and I don't know if it is just because of the the utter dominance of uh, Dungeons and Dragons that it's managed to maintain for the whole life of role playing games for you know 40 odd years uh, I mean if when I started playing it was um late 1983 and if I I get from White Dwarf did a survey in uh, issue 49 where they listed the top role playing games and they said AD&D was the top RuneQuest was the second, Traveller was the third, and then D&D, &D, the basic game, came in fourth, up below Traveller and RuneQuest. Below that there was Tunnels and Trolls and Call of Cthulhu. But there was a big drop-off from AD&D &D down to RuneQuest and Traveller. And at that time, I remember the magazine, White Dwarf magazine, AD&D, &D, RuneQuest and Traveller, they, the, the they were the pillars of that, the, 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 the magazine at that point. Um, most of the articles were about those three systems. 
Um, now, by 1987, just before I started GMing RuneQuest, the same survey that they did in White Dwarf that appeared in White Dwarf 85, things had changed quite a bit. However, AD&D was still way up on top. It was still vastly the most popular. Uh, D&D, basic D&D, was the second most popular. But underneath that, Merp, Middle-earth role-playing, Call of Cthulhu, Judge Dredd and Warhammer had all jumped ahead of Traveller and RuneQuest. And Traveller and RuneQuest had really dropped down. Traveller was actually more um, popular than RuneQuest at that point. RuneQuest had really dropped off. Um, but they were sort of still in the chasing pack after D&D. And then after that, um, all the other systems, you've got uh, Golden Heroes, Tons and Trolls, Star Trek... Bushido, Paranoia, Starfront, Marvel, Superheroes, Stormbringer, Toon, Doctor Who, Twilight 2000, Pendragon, Ghostbusters, Battletech, Ringworld, Indiana Jones and DC Heroes. Um, they were very minor games compared to the top ones. So, by 1987, um, RuneQuest and Traveller had dropped back and, and Merp was now very popular. Call of Cthulhu, it's not sci-fi, it's a horror thing. Judge Dredd, yep sci-fi but still nowhere near as popular as AD&D and D&D um I then dropped out of the hobby quite then and then but um so then I was like in the, the dark ages where I didn't really know what was happening in the hobby in the um in the 90s and the 2000s um the only thing I've got I, I thought like sort of like Tabletop role-playing had almost pretty much vanished and people had gone into card games instead, like Magic the Gathering and things. And uh, video role-playing games had, had taken a large chunk of the tabletop market. Um, but the only thing I can really go off is um, the Wizards of the Coast survey from 1999. And, and I know all these surveys and the ones in White Dwarf are sometimes questioned about their accuracy of them. They're based only on the people that responded and sometimes the questions are biased but there is a section in that Wizards of the Coast survey where it says in 1999 the most popular game was D&D &D, with 66% of respondents having played it so it was still the, the, the major player. The second biggest game was a game called Vampire the Masquerade which of course I've never played. Um, sounds like a gothic horror game, um, not sci-fi. Third popular was Star Wars on 21%. Vampire the Masquerade had 25%, so again, a big drop from D&D from &D down to the other games. Star Wars, 21%. Never played it. Palladium, 16%. Surprise at that. Not a very popular game when I played it in the 80s. Werewolf the Apocalypse, 15%. Shadowrun, 15%. Star Trek, 12%. Call of Cthulhu, 8%. So Call of Cthulhu has fallen back by this time. Legend of the Fire... Right, don't know quite know what happened there. I had a little bit of a tizzy. So I'll continue with the list quickly. Just Legend of the Five Rings, that was on 8%. Deadlands, 5%. Alternity, 4%. I think that was a sci-fi game, wasn't it? GURPS, Universal System, 3%. So, I don't know. Perhaps perhaps it's not a case of sci-fi games being less popular than fantasy games. It's just been a case of D&D &D being the most popular game and everything else being less popular. So perhaps it's not fantasy role-playing games and sci-fi games. It's just D&D &D and then everything else. Uh, I don't know, but getting back to why I started thinking about science fiction games recently. So I was playing along with this conceit of not being a real person and perhaps just being an artificial stupidity, just being a robot or a computer programming. And um, I got some messages from uh, from a few people playing into this, from Andy Goodman, 
saying I was a replicant and I uh, also got one from uh, Spencer at Keep Off The Borderlands um, pretend to be an engineer from Marionettes Incorporated which ties into what I the little bit I did at the front of the episode and I also got a message from Barry at uh, Shadow of the GM uh, about um, linking me to this and, and also linking me to the, to the, the podcast Saya how Saya sounded similar to Saifa and perhaps I was linked to that and I sent them some replies and it got me thinking about Saifa Actually, I think yeah, Spencer played my replies on his por- uh, Portal episode in the RPG, uh, RPG A Day month episodes, um, but they didn't seem to make any sense. They didn't have any context. Um, so, so actually, actually, I'll tell you what, I'll just play Spencer's message now. Hello. This is a courtesy call from Marionettes Incorporated. An engineer will be with you shortly to perform a system reset. Failure to comply with this request could invalidate your warranty. This has not been a recording. Have a nice day. Okay. Thanks for that, Spencer. I don't think I actually managed to thank you in my messages. I just shot off some. So my messages, my first message was I was pretending to be uh, like Pinocchio, saying, I've got no strings, and listen to Spencer's podcast to hear it. So I like saying, nah, 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 catch me if you can sort of thing. And then I sent him another podcast after that, um, pretending to be a sort of reconditioned, rebooted service droid, as if I was working in, say, a, a drive-by um, burger joint or something, uh, as if to say, yeah, the engineer has caught me. Uh, I didn't get away with it. So um, that's the context of it. But it got me thinking about the sci-fi games, and, and then I got a message through from Barry quickly, which pointed me, actually, I'll just play Barry's message as well. Hi, Safer, it's Barry here from Shadow the GM Podcast. So what I say on talking about AIs, you know, I listen to a podcast called Sayer by Adam Bash, and the AIs in that have got names like Sayer and Speaker and Future, Safer. Just kind of seem to match the pattern. Not saying that you're advanced AI from the future, send back to Termant Humanity and, you know, kill us off in various ways to try to advance your own agenda or the agenda of the company that produced you. But, you know, if, if the shoe kind of fits and I guess the name fits, then, yeah. Anyway, maybe you should check it out. Speak to you later. Or maybe not, if I die in some mysterious circumstance on some job you sent me to do. Mm. Okay, thank you for that, Barry. So, uh, unfortunately for Barry, I kind of got his message really quickly. Almost just after I got the message from Spencer. I'm after I'd just done the the reply to Spencer. Uh, And I ended up replying to Barry in a similar sort of way, pretending to be this service robot. And but obviously Barry didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue of the context of my message either. So I think he was kind of freaked out by it. It was like, "What the heck?" You know. And he sent me a Twitter message going, "What? What's all that about?" So I had to explain to myself that I'd got this message off Spencer, and I was pretending to be a reserviced droid in keeping with it. Um, but I, I took Barry's advice and a, his uh, suggestion, and and I and I, and I give uh, the Sayer podcast a listen. And and I've I've listened to three of them now, and uh, they're really quite good. I'm, I, I think they're really. Uh, got a really nice creepy feel to them, just that sort of creeping doom sense coming to it, and it's very subtly done, and uh, I think they're very well done actually. Um, but I did notice that uh, on a couple of a couple of occasions when I was listening to Saya, most of the time I'm completely believe I'm buying into it. I'm believing that I'm listening to an artificial intelligence on some orbiting station. On a wor- on around the the planet, I think actually it's just above the, our Earth, isn't it? So, um, and I'm completely in it. But sometimes, 
there's a very subtle difference where instead of thinking I'm listening to an artificial intelligence, I suddenly start to think that I'm actually just listening to a guy speaking through a voice modulator. And it doesn't happen very often, but it's very, and it's very subtle. It's a very subtle change. It's something about the timbre of um, Adam's voice or perhaps the type of language that he uses. Um, that doesn't seem to fit, and I drop out of the sense of disbelief. It doesn't. It, I think it's only happened twice in the three episodes that I've been listening. As I say, that they're really good, and I would give them a listen uh, if you can find them. The the Say Our podcasts, um, but it got me thinking that that is one of the reasons I don't play sci-fi. Is it because it's just hard? It's it's, and and I think it is hard that that maintaining of that sci-fi voice i do a lot of role playing in first person but maintaining that sense of that techno babble that sense of futurism in your descriptions i find it quite difficult and it's easy to drop out of it i don't know if it's because there's a wealth of what our expectations should be on how a sci-fi should be done because of all the sci-fi shows that there have been um but i found this as i say i don't really play many sci-fi games with my nephew we did he did buy um some warhammer 40,000 figures in a first strike pack, just a little pack with some space marines and some plague bearers that we've been using as zombies for the zombie apocalypse games. And we tried to play a couple of uh, sci-fi games where he got he brought this 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 um, spaceship that he had as uh, part of a PS4 game where you put the spaceship on the dock and it, and it comes up on the screen and he brought that and he brought his figures and um, we tried to create... A, a, a sci-fi world from a, a one strike, the first strike box, a little A3 battle mat that was inside of it, uh, um, a sort of silver mesh uh, table placeholder as a sort of landing pad for the spaceship and a handful of figures. And it wasn't easy trying to create a sort of like five separate worlds with just those elements. Um, but I found it really quite difficult trying to speak in the first person, trying to get that sort of militaristic techno babble and keeping the sense uh, an ambience of the game and I think my nephew found it difficult as well trying to buy into that sort of sci-fi acting thing and I don't know why I should put that limitation on myself why I should put that demand to make the language sound right in a sci-fi game um because I don't really do it in, in when I'm playing fantasy games I don't have to do it when we're playing the zombie apocalypse games just playing modern but I don't really do it when we're playing fantasy games I don't I don't play all like oh forsooth thou art and all this uh, you know mock nightly talk we don't I don't do that when I'm playing fantasy games I don't know why I put the restriction on sci-fi games I don't think anyone does put that restriction on their fantasy games I think Ed Greenwood I think he plays in a group I think he said on a recent episode of Krog Talk on his interview that he plays in a game where they talk and all that sort of cod oldie worldly type accents um but even that isn't really accurate anyway is it i mean um in truth if we're going to be prescriptive about the language the type of voices we should use for um fantasy role-playing games or past i mean if you're talking about oldly worldly what we think of like a shakespearean accent shakespeare probably would have spoken in a sort of uh, west country style accent he would have sounded more like a pirate probably he would have sort of like old fertilizer and uh, oh Romeo Romeo where for other Romeo and uh, was it what light from yonder window shines and uh, breaks and um, <laughs> what do you, yeah obviously I'm not a student of uh, Shakespeare alas poor Yorick I knew him Horatio but um, 
he probably would have sounded like, like that more in truth, more like that rather than Ian McKellen. Um, and also, if you'd gone back to the medieval times, uh, it wouldn't have sounded English at all. People would have been speaking in Middle English uh, back in Chaucer's day. Uh, and actually, strange enough, um, Middle English, uh, the closest of Ivan accent or dialect to Middle English is in fact my own. Uh, Geordie is in truth probably the, the closest thing we still have alive today to uh, Chaucer's type of uh, language. It's not something that's widely recognised or acknowledged. Um, my accent and dialect isn't highly held in the United Kingdom. It's kind of denigrated. There's a lot of snobbery in this country. Um, uh, received pronunciation, so of estuary English, it's quite a modern, actually, accent, really. Um, even, uh, actually, throughout the majority of England, right the way through the Midlands, uh, that Somerset accent was actually quite prevalent all the way through to the, the mid-1800s, in fact. It's really been urbanisation that's uh, accelerated the accents within this country. Um, but the Northeast accent, uh, you know, some people might say it's a holdover, a, a relic, a, a sort of uh, stuck-in-the-mud archaic sound um but i like to think it's more like the original english sound it's not middle english but a lot of it is similar to middle english i'll tell you what i'll let you decide i'll read you some chaucer some of the original canterbury tales i'll read you a bit of the general prologue at the start uh, in my native dialect so this is not in middle english but this is just in my dialect and hopefully you'll get a feel it, it, that it actually quite works, that uh, the timber is there, the pacing, the rhythm, and that it does actually rhyme when spoken in my dialect. And then I'll perhaps read, I'll read Harvard University's modern English translation of this section of the, the Canterbury Tales, and you'll see the difference where the, the rhyme and the, uh, the rhythm has been lost. So, okay, here we go. Befell that in that season on a deer. In Southwark at the Tabard, as I lay, ready to wenden on me pilgrimage to Canterbury, were full devout courage. At neat was come into that hostelry, well nigh in twenty in a company, of sundry folk, by adventure fall, in fellowship and pilgrims were they all, that toward Canterbury would they ride, the chambers and the stables were in wide. Right, now I'll try and read the Harvard uh, English translation of that piece in my best English accent. Okay, here we go. It happened that in that season, on one day, in Sawak, at the Tabard, in as I lay, ready to go on my pilgrimage to Canterbury with a very devout spirit, at night had come into that hostelry, well nigh in twenty, in a company, of various sorts of people, by chance fallen, in fellowship, and they were all pilgrims, who intended to ride toward Canterbury. The bedrooms and the stables were spacious. Okay, so I hope you could hear from that, that even if you couldn't understand the bit that I did in my dialect, the piece in my dialect seemed to work better. The rhythm and the rhyme was there. And as I say, it's not Middle English. Um, there's parts of it that the academics will be screaming about. Things like um, the, the pronunciation of the word night. Uh, in my dialect, we say neat. 
we don't say, we don't say night time we say night time uh, so uh, uh, but in middle english uh, the academics say that the pronunciation should be nicked which sounds a lot more germanic to me but so what i said was not middle english but i hope you could see that i think there are definite similarities and elements of my dialect that are closer to the middle english sound than what the modern uh, english accent is okay so enough of this diversion but um perhaps we shouldn't be concerning ourselves too much with the type of sound and language that we use in sci-fi games or i shouldn't be as consider I'm not really doing it in my fantasy games. Um, I think the only thing I really object to, I listened to an American um, live play uh, YouTube video where some of the players, they describe going to the shopping district or to the market district in a medieval fantasy game as, as going to the mall. The, the shop was in the mall, they said, and and that jarred with me a bit. I thought mall is far too modern a word. You know, market, shop is fine, um, shopping district even, um, market, market district, bazaar would work, but mall sounded sounded ajar with me. But generally, I don't really feel any need to have a particular type of sound when I'm playing fantasy games, which I do, which I do apply to myself when I'm playing sci-fi games, which might be a bit unfair. And when I was growing up, um, there was a wealth of sci-fi sources available to me you know we had lots of sci-fi tv shows lots of sci-fi movies that i could draw from you know star trek star wars yes i'm including that in sci-fi i don't want to get into that whole sci-fi space up i think um blake seven space 1999 sapphire and steel i mean just to name a handful you know battle uh, battleship galactic was it battlestar galactica sorry um i mean Loads and loads and loads of influences for for fantasy, sorry, sci-fi uh, entertainments, and I don't know if I don't know if it was perhaps I was getting my sci-fi kick from those other things, and I didn't need to play sci-fi games because there wasn't so much the fantasy sources at the time. We had the Harry Ray Harryhausen films. Um, and we had little films like Hawk the Slayer and and Krull, which is fantasy with bits of sci-fi in it. I didn't really have Conan the Barbarian and um, likes of Swords and the Sorcerer. They were older rated films. I didn't get to see them until later in the 80s. But there wasn't so much fantasy sources and fantasy programming on televisions. Um there was the only thing I Robin of Sherwood. Robin of Sherwood came along in late in the mid eighties, and that was definitely I I loved that program, and I definitely wanted my RuneQuest games to be that. That's what I wanted to create. You know, I wanted that gritty, grimy, medieval world, but with a sort of backdrop of mysticism, not overt, but that mystical, magical, romantic sense in in the original sense of romanticism. Uh, but that was I can think of the only really fantasy style program i really watched a lot of i can't think of top me so i don't know if it was just a case of that i didn't feel the need to play sci-fi games because i had so much other sci-fi content to draw from or perhaps it was that perhaps i didn't want to spoil my sci-fi perhaps i didn't <clears throat> perhaps i did feel the pressure like i couldn't emulate it i couldn't emulate the language in star trek i couldn't 
emulate the grandeur of Star Wars and things. And I didn't want my game to spoil it. I, I did get that sense, I remember, with Merp, Middle-earth role-playing. I remember when that came out, and I sort of read it with that. You, you, it's a lot of the players, you, you could have magic skills. And I used to think, oh, you know, Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, they shouldn't, you shouldn't be magicians. You shouldn't have magic. It was a very, magic was a very um, discreet, subtle thing within Middle Earth. And it was only held by the most powerful. So the idea of playing a magic user in Middle Earth, I'm not sure if that's right. I never actually played the game. But that sense of spoiling Middle Earth to me put me off Middle Earth role playing. So I don't know if it's that thing of like, I didn't want to play star trek and things because i didn't want to spoil those influences but that shouldn't have really affected for travel or anything um okay so um we'll have to just wrap this up because i'm really getting very far with it i i don't really know i mean in my group back in the 80s i wasn't the biggest sci-fi nut within the group um my influences were more on the fantasy side of things from the mythologies norse greek mythologies um also from the ray harryhausen films but also from uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. I had a great little book from Richard Cavendish called uh, King Arthur and the Grail I think it was called. Um, That's a great little explanation of the meanings behind uh, the King Arthur stories. So I came from that but I wasn't I wasn't against uh, sci-fi. I really enjoyed sci-fi as well Um, but there was others in the groups that were they were like real gamers, you know, they were into comics and horror movies and they loved sci-fi even more than I did. But even they didn't suggest or uh, uh, want to play, seem to want to play sci-fi games either. Uh, I don't think I was a blocker in the group, uh, although I was, I did become a negative element in the end. Um, I wouldn't have been against sci-fi role-playing. So I, I really don't know why it didn't happen for us in the 80s and I, and I don't know why it's always seemed to have been less popular. So uh, I'm just going to leave it there because I'm not really getting anywhere. If anyone else, I mean, I'm not really looking for messages further on this from anyone. If anybody, but perhaps if anybody else wants to pick this up or has any ideas about sci-fi role-playing games and wants to perhaps do a podcast of their own, perhaps talk about it, I'd be very happy to listen to that. Um, I was also thinking about doing a um, a podcast on time travel within role-playing games um, because I was thinking about this about a a week ago uh, when, when I was listening to some of the... RPG a day podcasts and I got thinking about it and I thought ah there's a couple of articles in White Dwarf about time travel older articles about time travel and role-playing games and I'm not going to read them articles out but I learned when I was a teenager how dangerous time travel can be to storytelling and and therefore how awkward it could be within role-playing games and difficult Um, so I might just do a podcast on that just also as a bit of an excuse to do a bit of a Harry Potter rant because uh, it's the reason, it's the main reason why I don't like Harry Potter, and I, and I don't think um, her storytellings are good in Harry Potter. Oh, there's a bit of contention for you. Um, but it's funny as well because as I, when I was thinking about this, I was listening to one of Andy, Good, Andy Goodman's podcasts uh, on RPG a day, Martha Common, which one it was. But he mentioned time travel in one of his podcasts, and I don't know if it was just an off the cuff remark. But I, I, when I heard it, I thought, what? And, and I thought, is this some kind of hive mind going on here in Anchor? Is there some kind of international zeitgeist going on here? Just, I don't know. Perhaps it was just an off-the-cuff remark, but perhaps perhaps we're all listening to the same things and perhaps with similar reference points and being of similar ages. It kicked off a similar sort of thought pattern. Something we listened to somehow kicked off our thoughts of time travelling. I don't know, but I might do that as a next podcast. 
Uh, I'm aware that this podcast is rambling on Nog anyway. It's been a big uh, pile of bantha dung, really. Apart from the two little gems from Spencer and uh, Barry, the only highlights I think have been in this podcast. So um, I'll leave you as a desperate act to try and improve the quality of this podcast. I'll leave you with a message that Nate Gilton left me in his um, characterization of Nate Gilbreth while performing the character of TJ Drennan. I think that's right. I'm a bit confused by it all. But he left me this message after I left some messages to him. And I don't know if TJ was just trying to um, cast a charm person spell on me or, or a sleep spell just to shut me up or something. But it kind of worked. So um, I'll just leave you with this as a perhaps a little lullaby for all you RPG a month podcasters who have uh, who deserve your rest and uh, as an aid to help you recuperate and recover. So um, please, TJ, help me. You're my only hope. Take it away. Safer, I'm admittedly only a few episodes into the journey that is your podcast. However, your humming at the beginning of episode two got a little bit entangled in my head. And I had to sit down and do a little bit of recording. This is a song. Based on 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 a song. Sleep tight.